0: to be with you in worshiping today as we continue our series Heartbeat of the Hill. Uh, We've been going over our mission, our uh, vision, and our values. Why we exist, our mission, awakening people from death to life in Christ. The vision that we believe God has given us is to develop spiritually healthy families and spiritually healthy leaders And then we've been walking through our six values, our convictions, the things we are asking God to help us become. And we started with Christ is the catalyst. Apart from him, we can do nothing of eternal consequence. We looked at time in the word. When we spend time in the word, God reveals his character and how we should live for those who belong to him. Then we looked at stand in the gap. Jesus stood in the gap for us and so we become advocates for alienated or marginalized peoples for the sake of the gospel. And then last week we looked at being together in the faith and how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. And today we get to our fifth of six values, which is invest in the next. Invest in the next. We actually began the year with a several-week series called Invest in the Next as we talked about the children's ministry and investing over there, volunteering and giving uh, towards the, the building, uh, retirement of the debt, and investing in our homes. But invest in the next is a broader value. Certainly it does talk about Investing in the next generation, as Stacy talked about, but it is about investing in whoever is next beside us. Uh, if you are uh, investing in other parents or investing in other people in your life group, or it's investing through service here through the church, what does it look like to invest in the next person? And so you can see here the value defined there in your notes. Our desire is to take every opportunity to invest in the next generation and effectively steward a leadership pipeline to ensure the future of the church. It is actually God's plan that we invest in the next. When Jesus had resurrected from the dead and before he had ascended into heaven, he said, go and make disciples, baptizing them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. You could say he was saying, Invest in the next. When we think about investing, a lot of times our mind goes to a financial investment. And one of my favorite stories of a missed opportunity to invest happened in about the year 2000. At that time, there was a mega company with over 9,000 locations called Blockbuster. And for those younger than that existence, you would go and physically check out movies like a, like a library and they would fine you for being late and all those kind of things as well. But in about the year 2000, a little startup company called Netflix, who at that time, was a rent-through-the-mail DVD company. You would rent DVDs two at a time through the mail. And they would come, and after you watched one, you would mail it back, and then you could get two more. And Netflix came to Blockbuster in about the year 2000, actually up in Dallas, and tried to sell themselves to Blockbuster. They were, at that point, in a little bit of a financial risky position. And they said to Blockbuster, you buy us for $50 million and we will handle all of the online business and the changes to the online business that will take place in the coming years. And you handle the in-store customer. $50 million, they asked Blockbuster, to invest in Netflix. And the CEO of Netflix now tells a story that the CEO of Blockbuster, laughed them out of the office. If you knew now what they didn't know then, Netflix at this point is worth around $150 billion. I think I'd have been reaching in the couch cushions and (laughs) scrapping together $50 million to be a part of 150 billion, right? Like we understand that was a missed opportunity because all these years later, 23 years later, there is now one blockbuster video store. And I believe it's in Alaska. (laughs) And it runs independently. And there's actually a documentary on Netflix about the last (laughs) blockbuster video store. If you knew now what, or then what we know now, it would be a no-brainer to invest. Set that aside, we know that God is saying the most important thing you and I can invest in is other people. And so often we neglect to invest in the next. And I'm telling you, you don't want to be like the CEO of Blockbuster when it comes time to give account for how we've lived our life before the one and only father and creator of the universe. So know then what we should know now. Investing in the next is a no-brainer. And so with that, I want to take a little bit of a different approach, and I want to look at First Kings chapter 19, to look at the journey to invest in the next for Elijah and some of the principles we can take for ourselves. I'm going to read verses 19 through 21, but I'm actually going to be referencing the entire chapter of chapter 19 in 1 Kings. So let me read this, 1 Kings chapter 19, beginning in verse 19. So he, this is talking about Elijah. So Elijah departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and my mother and then I will follow you. And Elijah said to him, go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen, sacrificed them, boiled their flesh with the yoke of the oxen, gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Now that very well may be a passage you've not heard a whole lot of times in church. But ultimately what we see here is Elijah going to Elisha and saying, I want to invest in you. And Elisha saying, I will follow and be invested in. It is a picture of investing in the next. But what I want to look at this morning is the journey to verse 19 where Elijah is saying, I am willing to invest in the one who will come after me, Elisha. Because it is not an easy road. In fact, the first point here in your outline is this, Elijah did not start in a good place either mentally or in ministry. And when we start at the beginning of chapter 19, Elijah is not in a good place. He's not the most likely candidate to begin investing in the next. When you begin in chapter 19, what you see is this. Let me catch you up in the previous verses. Elijah's had a stunning ministry with major victories He has recently just come off of a huge victory on Mount Carmel between the Lord and the prophets of Baal. In fact, he has slain the prophets of Baal. And then Ahab, the king, goes to Jezebel, and Jezebel says, go find Elijah and let him know that I will do to him what he has done to our prophets. She is threatening, saying, I am going to kill him. May it be done to me if I don't Follow through on this promise to kill Elijah. And she must have been a bad, bad lady because Elijah, after all these victories, runs scared and fearful. In fact, he begins um, to fear for his own life and he goes to almost the southern part of the kingdom and then leaves his servant and goes even a day's further away. And to be honest, it is a picture in scripture of depression. Elijah is depressed. He says to the Lord, it would be better if I would die. Lord, please take my life. And he's down here by the river and God sends an angel to provide the sustenance for the day. Not once, but two times. And Elijah is just, I'm, my ministry's over. I'm, I'm past expiration. Everyone's out to get me. God, it would be better if I just died. He is depressed. And the angel says, here, have a second meal because you have a long journey ahead. And those two meals provided by the angel carries him for 40 days as he ends up going up on this mountain. And then we get to this picture, it's a sort of a famous scene in the life of Elijah, where he gets on this mountain, very well could be the same mountain that Moses went on when he asked to see the Lord and got to see the the back of the Lord's glory. Very well may be the same mountain. And Elijah goes up on this mountain, and I love this, the Lord says to Elijah, what are you doing here? And we'll get to that in a moment. But that first part, he is not in a good place. He is mentally, I, I can't go on. God, I'm, I'm at the end of my rope, I'm, I'm done. I, I want you to notice this truth. Elijah needed a reminder about the true source of life. He needed a reminder. And it's, it's stunning to me and maybe to you as well, But it's also very human. It's stunning that Elijah, after just experiencing the Mount Carmel victory, that within a few days and one threat later, he just took on 300 prophets of Baal. And now he's going, I I don't think I can go on. That's stunning, but it's also very human. You notice in this, in chapter 19, multiple times there in verses 1 uh, through 8, You can go back later and look how many times he says something about his life. Lord, take my life. She was after my life. I would rather lay down my life. Over and over he is saying my life is not worth moving forward. It is in jeopardy. And he needed a reminder that God is the source and the preserver of our life. And I don't know who this may be for today, but I just want you to know that if you are starting in a place of depression or feelings of, I don't know what my life can count for anymore, I'm just telling you that this is a message for you today. Because the second thing that we see is Elijah needed to answer that question, what are you doing here? When he goes up on the mountain, what are you doing here? I don't know what it is about that question, it's just so funny to me. Um, I am uh, a listener of the podcast of the Tony Kornheiser Show, it's a podcast he's uh, one of the ESPN guys from Pardon the Interruption, and he does this podcast. And one of the phrases that they use a lot on that show, it comes from uh, a Washington Commanders player, Brian Arakopo. He was on the sideline one time and watching his defense, and he, goes, and he was mic'd up, and he says, what are we even doing out here, man? And so on that show, they reference that all the time. And when I read this, I just thought, God's going, what are we even doing out here, man? And Elijah answers, And again, he's in a bad place, he's in a tough spot, and he begins to respond. And let's actually just read um, this response. Uh, He actually says it two times in verse 10 is the first time. He says, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. So God says, what are we even doing here, man? He goes, I've been faithful to you, God. The world's gone crazy. Everybody's after me. The world's broken. I'm the only one left. I'm isolated. I'm the only one still here, God. And they're even trying to kill me. Everybody's out to get me, God. And then... This is just how God works. He doesn't directly answer that. What happens next is that a great wind goes through the mountains. I mean, a wind that is just ripping trees and bushes and rocks swirling around. And the scripture says that God wasn't in the wind. And then a violent earthquake shakes. And it says that God wasn't in the earthquake. And then a fire rips through the mountain. And God was not in the fire. But after those three things, a gentle whisper. A gentle whisper comes to Elijah. And that's where the Lord was in this small, still moment. It's as if to say, Elijah... You have lived a life of these big mountaintop experiences, and I was there, but now in the stillness and in the quiet, I'm still here. I'm still here. And what is so fascinating, this is the lowness in which Elijah was, and that God says, So what are we doing here? And even after all that, Elijah gives the exact word-for-word word response that he gave at the beginning. I have been jealous for the for God, the God of hosts. I alone, even I only, am left, and they seek my life as well. He's in a bad spot, but God is seeking to remind him. See, the truth is this. It is all too easy for us to look inward instead of toward God. This is a dangerous thing for us when we begin to look inward at our own excuses, if you don't mind me saying that. I mean, God has just demonstrated once again his presence and his being with Elijah, and Elijah is still looking inward. He's saying, my time is over, I'm afraid, I'm broken, the world's broken, everyone's after me, everyone's godless, and I'm alone. And I don't know, maybe some today feel like Elijah. When we talk about this value of investing in the next, you look inwardly instead of towards God, and you begin to say, I'm broken, I don't know what I could give. You begin to look and say, I'm, I'm alone. I'm the only one that would champion this. I'm the only one. Maybe you would say, the world has just gotten so broken. I don't, it's, it, it's like firing a water pistol at hell. Like what, what's even the point of it? I'm just going to keep my head down, do my thing, keep to myself. That's looking Inward at ourself instead of going, but God, what do you have? What would you have me do next? And I love what happens next. In the third part, part of your outline, Elijah needed a reminder from God. Three reminders. I'm going to read um, 15 through 18. As God responds after the second time that Elijah gives his response, the Lord says to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel Maloha, I guess, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place, And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to, to the Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Now in that sort of strange passage again, let me set the context. Here's three reminders that God gives Elijah as he's looking inward and God says... Will you just trust that I have a plan? Number one, God is in the big and small moments. That's the whole point of the wind and the earthquake and the fire and the still small voice. Again, Elijah has been a part of big mountaintop experiences, literally, Mount Carmel. And he's saying, I was with you there. Why do you think I won't be with you by that river? And if you look backwards, God was with him. He was hungry and God provided him. Food. God provided him direction. And now he is saying, Elijah, I want you to go back the way you just came. Meaning, this, you sought to flee from my plan for you. I want you to go right back. Go right back the way that you came and invest in the next. I want you to anoint a king. Notice this, this is no small thing. I want you to anoint a king of a pagan country. Saying, I'm, I am a not just confined to a geographical area. I am the God of all peoples. And he says, now I want you to go and anoint a king of my expressed people. And then I want you to go anoint and invest in the prophet who will follow you. So he says, I am with you. Reminder one, God is in the big and small moments. Number two, you are not. Alone, Over and over, Elijah is saying, it is I alone. I'm the only one. And I love how God just sort of subtly says in in verse 18, uh, by the way, I've got 7,000 who have never bent the knee to Baal. And I will preserve them as well. You are not alone, Elijah. Stop thinking you are alone alone. It goes back sort of what we talked about our value last week. We are together in the faith. It's one of the most amazing things to me is that we can go anywhere on this planet and if you find another believer in Jesus Christ, you have found family. You are not alone, God reminds him. And number three reminder, God has a purpose for you. Invest in the next these two kings, and then he really zeroes in on, and then the prophet who will come after you. We see this pattern over and over in Scripture that God is asking people to invest in the next. Elijah's not going to be there forever. He needs to invest in the next prophet. David won't be there forever. He is to invest in his son. And then ultimately, our Lord himself Our Lord himself devoted the better part of three years to investing in a small group of people. That was his plan. There were many times he had a large audience, Sermon on the Mount, all these other healings, people just coming, pressing in on him. But at the end of the day, he was finding time to invest in a much smaller group. He had about 125 that would follow him and then 70 that he would send out, then the 12, and then even three that he spent even more time, more specific time investing in. Peter, James, and John. Investing in the next. And he placed the entire future of his kingdom on how well he invested In those men and women, that they would invest in the next. And that they would invest in the next. And that it would ripple out with his entire goal being that it would go not just from Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, but to the ends of the earth. It is his primary strategy is to invest in the next in the next generation, in the next neighbor, in the next coworker, in the next person who needs to do the job that you're doing um, in the church, outside of the church, the next volunteer, whatever it is that we are passing it on. It reminds me and brings me thankfulness to the many men and women who have invested in me. You're probably not sitting here today without the investment of at least one person. And maybe that investment was simply an invitation to be here today. But for others, we have a long line of people that have invested in us. I think back to when I was a kid. The men and women that taught my Sunday school class, taught me RAs, knocked my head together with my buddies when we were messing around in a worship service and this is not how we act. I think of a Marvin Roy who taught Bible to me as a teenager. I think of Wayne Dunn who taught me in 7th and 8th grade who wore a suit cuz he thought he was Pat Riley to coach our church league basketball games. I think of Michael Johnson who when I was in 11th and 12th grade invited us over to his house, he and his wife, Marcia, as they invested in our entire grade. He even gave jobs to some of my, some of my peers so that he could invest in them even more. And when I went to college, I think of Matthew Harding and David Fowler and uh, a guy named Vic and Wyatt and Daisy McVeigh who invested in me. And when I went to seminary, I think about Randy Stone, who brought me into an internship to teach me about the ways of church life and, and Stu Kokenhauer, who gave me opportunity and invested in me so that I could invest in students. And you know, I think about my first church, Uh, The pastor there, Sean Parker, who invested in me, I mean totally green minister, going this is how you do it. And a a guy in our church who was a retired pastor named Bill Webb, who just on his own reached out to me and said, hey, let's start going to lunch. I have been a pastor for 30-plus years and I just want to just make sure that you're doing okay. Pray for your family. And then certainly when I've come here, the numerous people who have invested from Pastor John to others in this congregation I am, a, I am the sum of those who have invested in me. And I am selfish if I do not in turn invest it in others. And so when we think about those who have invested in us... Again, it is a no-brainer like the CEO of Blockbuster should have done to invest in Netflix because the payout is far beyond what we could ever imagine in eternal victory. But number four, Elijah needed to be obedient. God said, I've got a plan. I want you to go invest in these three. And then we get to that verse that I started with, verse 19. And it's such a funny passage to me because Elijah finds Elisha. Elisha's out in the field working. There's it's a big work um, detail, if you will. Twelve teams of oxen. Elisha is on the last team, and Elijah walks by and just throws his coat on him. It's like, what? But if I, uh, for somehow, some way that everybody understood, he's just asked you to be his apprentice. And so he gets the coat off and he starts running after Elijah and he says, hey, I want to follow, but can I go and kiss my dad and my mom goodbye? And Elijah says to him, what's stopping you? What have I done to prevent you? Essentially he's saying you've got to make a choice. Jesus very likely in the New Testament was thinking backwards on this moment when he says someone who will be at the plow and turn back is not worthy of the kingdom. And Elisha then understands, and he goes, and this is, this is an important aspect of it. Elisha goes right back to that team of oxen. It never says that he went back to mom and dad. He went right back to that team of oxen, and he slaughtered it for a festival and a meal. Now, here's what he's doing. Elisha also is being obedient to say, I am making a, a break. I am cutting all ties I have killed the oxen so that I will follow you without anything to bring me backwards. So Elijah is faithful to go to Elisha and say, I am willing to invest in you. But Elisha also has to say, I am willing to be invested in. Elisha could have piled up some excuses. Elijah, can you not see I'm busy? I've got 12 teams of oxen here, a lot of people waiting on me i got family stuff going on. I'm busy. I'm too busy. But no, he said, no, this is important. I will make a clean break and follow you. And then if you begin to read into 2 Kings, you see how that investment pays off as the portion of Elijah's, uh, portion of the spirit gets put onto Elisha. And then Elisha goes and does even greater things for the Lord. At the end of the day, we are a church that must invest in the next. It is God's plan that we invest in the next. We are the product of those that invested in us, and now we must invest in others. And so I'm gonna invite Stacey if you would come on up um, as we get ready to sing a closing song of response. But I'll just say this, as part of an application today, I want to make this as easy as possible. In the the lobby this morning there are some tables with some opportunities that you can begin to invest or volunteer here at the church. There's some guides um, that are actually out there with a whole bunch of volunteer opportunities in various ministries that you can pick up, you can talk to people. We're trying to make the volunteer process moving forward as as clean as we can, we're, we're, we're starting an, a volunteer onboarding process. There's a, a code that you can start the application with. And what we're trying to do is this. So many, so many people volunteer, and I'm thankful for that. So many are already investing in the next. But there is a principle of church that's, that's principle is a strong word. There's a reality in church that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. We need to bust that barrier down. If we want to really see what God wants to do here, we've got to bust that barrier down. And so what we want to do is if you're volunteering in one area and you decide to volunteer in another area that you don't have to redo all the paperwork. And so many have come to the same meeting year after year and it's all the necessary red tape. And so we're trying to get all of that into a database so that when you sit down with one of our ministry leaders moving forward, that you're not having to go through red tape paperwork, but you can talk about the passion and the mission and your place in that. Does that make sense? Plus, we typically make a big push for volunteers at the beginning of a semester, but that's not the only time people decide to volunteer. Well, they've already missed all the meetings, but through this we are now able to do that through some online training and catch people up so that they are not walking in ignorance to what was already shared in the past. Now, I would ask for your patience. I would ask for your willingness. We're not trying to make anybody's life harder. um, But we have a responsibility as a church and as pastors to steward and shepherd the volunteers. Let me just say this. One of the things that we are asking that every volunteer do is to do a background check. Now, let me just say this as well. We are also in the business of God changing lives. And so if you have something on a background check that's going to get flagged, that does not mean you cannot serve here. It may limit where or what types of things you can serve in, but we believe that every person has a place they can serve if they are redeemed under the blood of Jesus Christ. And so... In essence, what we're doing is this. It keeps me or our other pastors from being surprised. If if there's someone you know, then they could not pass a background check, let's just say for a DUI or something like that, and they're serving as a greeter. If someone walks up to me with a prayer request of, hey, there's a greeter, do you know they had a DUI three years ago? It's a lot better for me to go, yeah, I know that. We are thrilled at how God has turned their life around. It's, it's actually a joy to me that they are standing at that door greeting people because they understand what it's like to be low and for God to turn their life around. That's the heartbeat behind it. It's not to be legalistic. It's not to kick people out. It's to go, let's just manage no surprises. And that way we can get people where they are. And it's not going to be published. We're not going to stand up and just say, hey, we've got three DUIs on that door. And that's not how it's going to go. I mean, if, if it... If it, if it does not pass a background check, it will go to the elders only and then to the ministry head uh, of that department just, just in an if-they-need-to-know situation. So it's, I just, does that make sense? But we just need to know. As um, we were talking to one of our uh, advisory team members who's in HR, she said, you need to do it because anything that can happen will happen. And you just need to be ready for it. And we need to do our due diligence. And so that's the process. We want people to find their place of investing in the next. But we also have to steward that well. And so I pray that if you're not already connected somewhere, that you'll take time to stop by one of these tables. You'll take time to pick up an opportunities guide to just sort of look through. And maybe it's something in our church and maybe it's something outside of our church. It could be that it's just somebody that God lays on your heart. And it's kind of like Elijah go find Elisha. And all your responsibility right now is to go and mentor and invest in one to two people. And that's okay. God's in the big and the small things. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to have a song of close. And if you need to respond either through prayer or to speak to someone, uh, I pray that you'll do that. Otherwise, let's sing praises back to the Lord. Father, thank you that you have invested in us. You've invested your word. You've invested your love. You've invested the Holy Spirit. We have everything we need to invest in others. Lord, help us to be obedient. It's in Christ's name. Amen.